This is the Bushwick Variety Show, and I'm Alex Stevens III. Greetings, neighbors, friends, citizens of the world, and conscious beings of all various kinds. Thank you so much for listening to the Bushwick Variety Show. This is episode number 16. This episode, I talked to Jamie Buckner, filmmaker, production manager, writer, producer, and a good friend of mine. We talk about new forms of multiplication. Uh, we talk about new approaches. You know, just because things have always been done a certain way, that doesn't mean it's necessarily the best way things should be done. Um, Jamie's not particularly political, uh, but I'm going to be a little bit political here real quick and just say uh, thank you for listening. Um, if you have any disagreements with anything that I say, please feel free to let me know. Um, we might not agree on everything, but I think it's important that everybody uh, be allowed to have a voice and have an opinion and be free to express that. So thank you very much for listening to me. Um, and I welcome hearing from you. And I also just want to say a uh, really sad story I've been following this week is uh, about children being separated from their parents who are immigrating into this country. And that's just atrocious. Um, I'm going to leave it there. Um, just have to say that. You can look that up. Um, there's 1,500 children missing. Um, other than that, though... Uh, this was a really good talk with Jamie. Like I said, we didn't get too political. We did talk about our philosophies on education, filmmaking, um, the creative pursuit of making films and acting and writing. Um, he also gave a three-point process to success, um, specifically for filmmaking, but applies to life. Part of it, a pretty important part is... Uh, not being an asshole, but he'll tell you the rest of it in it. Um, check out his movie Split. Uh, check out Billions. He's uh, one of the main production managers on that. And uh, check out another movie he helped produce called Call Me Ishmael coming out later this year. Uh, I'm actually taking a break right now from from drinking um, since watching this. I've had a good, good, good time. Um, I've been putting in a lot of hours and uh, I might have told some people I had a little bit of an accident about a week ago on my bike. Um, late night, was exhausted, had a couple drinks with some coworkers after work at the bar and yeah, I fell on my face off of my bike. Um, so if I told you that I was in a karate tournament and somebody performed an illegal move, that wasn't exactly true. I just thought that was a better story. But the truth is, yeah, I just, I got off the rails a little bit. Um, that was kind of a wake-up call for me. Also, in general, I'm not sure um, that drinking is the best thing for me to be doing in general. Um, I don't know what that means, but I don't think it's, I just don't think it's the best thing. So, definitely taking a little break. Um, just be healthy and get enough sleep, you know, when you're putting on crazy hours doing your thing, take care of yourself. But Jamie brought a bottle of rosé for this conversation that we had, and we didn't get off the rails. I think we had a really great conversation. Um, 
a lot of gems in there. Pay it forward. Uh, new math. Uh, yeah. This is kind of a long one, so I'm going to get on into it. This is Jamie Buckner. Let's have a conversation. Salute. Salute, man. Thanks for bringing the, the rosé. Of course, dude. I'll have to... Uh, see, there I go. Moving out of the mic for a second. Um, I'll have to try the 40-ounce rosé at some point, too. It's goofy. It's goofy, but it's like... It's surprisingly... Delicious? Not awful. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's I mean, fun. The box wine thing is yeah. coming in big yeah. right now, too. Yeah, big and then thing. the little cans of rosé or mm-hmm. whatever. It's, you know... Just makes sense. Rosé's the thing, dude. Mm-hmm. So, Jamie Buckner, how you doing? I'm all right. Are we going? It's happening? We're, yeah. Yeah. We've been going. <laughs> all right. This is it. Official. Like, that's a smooth transition. I like it. I was just listening to... Uh... Anyway, I'm good. Everything's good. I get... Whatever. I'll just finish this thought. I was just listening to a podcast earlier. Uh, it was Bradley Whitford on... The Mark De- Marin On the Mark Marin podcast. Yeah. Exactly. Did you hear that whole thing where it was talking about how, like, I guess Clint Eastwood doesn't say action when he starts scenes because, like, when he worked... On like westerns, if you said action, it would like the horses would jump. And he's like, in his experiences, and in his experience, actors do the same thing. They sort of have a little bit of a reaction that takes them out of it for a second. Yeah. So he just doesn't say the word action when like scenes start, when they start rolling on on takes or whatever. Which I thought was really interesting. Um, I, I like that. I, I also heard. I think it was. I didn't quite finish the interview, but I definitely heard that part. And then I heard another part where he worked with some director who would say something even more kind of messed up right before. Oh, no. Yeah, he went on a whole thing about, like... (laughs) I just tweeted about this today, actually. It's... um, He was talking about just... Because especially on TV, you switch... You have a different director almost every episode. I mean, it depends on the show, really. Um, But he's just talking about every time he works with a director, something different kind of comes up that you have to sort of learn... Adjust to. As a performer, to sort of, like, work within their process and, and, and their... The only one on there, the director, there's only one director on like each episode or movie or whatever. So if they've only done that and they haven't been an actor or they haven't been on the crew in other capacities, they only know how they direct. They don't know how like other directors direct. So like, but as a performer, as an actor, you're working with different directors with different styles every time. So he, yeah, yeah. It, I like that we're like rehashing another podcast on a podcast. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he, he talked about how somebody would just, I had a buddy who would do this too when I was directing my movie. He, like, he was like, you know what you should do is just like when they're going, just like right before you say action, just be like, hey, and, uh, Bill, don't do that thing with your face. And action. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like the performer. Like, and he, so, so the, what I tweeted about and what I thought was sort of the the funniest takeaway and the most like, you know, I took some acting classes because I think to be a good director, you really have to, I mean, to tell someone, to be a director and to try and tell someone how to act, not to, not that that's what directing is, but like to sort of try and shepherd a performance mm-hmm. through a piece or whatever and to just not, and to just only have studied directing and not sort of know the craft at least a little bit of the people you're trying to help yeah. or work with I find is a little bit of a disservice to um to whatever the project is not always whatever in my experience but so uh what Bradley was like 
he's like, there's a three point sort of like mental processing whenever a director gives yeah. me a note. And he's like, step one. So like director comes up and is like, hey, Bradley, I'd like to, you know, like, he's like, whenever the note is even coming, he's like, step one, fuck you. Mm-hmm. Step two, I suck. Step three, oh, okay, what? <laughs> I think that that's an honest uh, reaction and process. Like, I, I think that's pretty much my thought process for like criticism yeah. and feedback. Mm-hmm. Even like if it's like about this podcast, mm-hmm. like, definitely, which I know right now at the beginning like there's only going to be room for like growth right um and i know that and when i get feedback especially like it's like sensitive because it's brand new mm-hmm. but um yeah there's there is that process it's like <sighs> and and it's also like sometimes i think with actors it's like sometimes you know like you're struggling with something so somebody gives you a note it's hard to hear at first. Oh, absolutely. And like to be an act, I have so much respect for actors. Um, you know, cause I've, there's people have tried to like encourage me to get into acting and, and, you know, like I work with actors all the time, be it on like the shows that I, you know, I'm and doing like the production management thing on, or like the stuff that I'm working my, the smaller stuff that I'm like directing or producing, writing, whatever. I have such immense respect for actors because of this sort of, and I, you don't want to generalize, but I feel like you have to have a certain mentality, psychology to be a perform, to be an actor, to be a performer in general. Um, I guess you could probably say this for musicians and, and, and the like as well, performance artists. But you just sort of, you really want to be, you want to be seen. You want that affirmation. You want that attention. You want to be like the center of attention, but you don't at the same time. Like it's a very internalized process. It's a very sort of like, I just find acting to be so interesting from just a from a psychology standpoint because it's you sort of have to be like a real hardcore introvert yeah and an extrovert at the same time. I uh I just was interviewing somebody recently and we met at an actors networking thing um and it was super awkward for everybody there. Um and we ended up meeting and she was like producing something and I ended up telling her about the podcast and mm-hmm. we were both there technically as actors and yeah, it got me thinking, you know, everybody, a lot of people think of actors as extroverts and we are under certain things like mm-hmm. on stage and, in like on the set, mm-hmm. ideally like, yeah, the, you come to life, but in day to day life, yeah, and I think more so introverts. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and I guess we should also say that's good actors. Right. You know? <laughs> We've all met the like, you know, the kid that's just like, I want to just sing and be everyone's best friend and look at me. And it's like, there's really nothing. It's all surface level. It's mm-hmm. all, and, you know, and maybe that same person like kind of comes around, takes some classes or whatever and sort of realizes. But like, I feel like it's almost it's almost like the really good comedians have like really dark places they're coming from. Oh yeah. Um, I think you just kind of have to have, it can't all just be surface level extrovert stuff. Yeah. I, I, I I'm not being super articulate about it, but I, I you know what I mean? Like it, 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 to do it well is such an internalized multifaceted layered process. Well, yeah, I, I think one thing just, Again, this is just off the top of my head, but one thing when you're talking about that, one of the most important things I think for acting is uh, not actually the 
not the stuff that you're doing. The most important thing is listening. Oh yeah. Oh it's, um, it, yeah. Act. I mean, acting is reacting, right? Like yeah. that's sort of, that's one of the things I've heard time and time again. And it's, and those are the moments too, where you can, um, you can really tell who the professionals are. And I can't say a whole lot for theater cause it's not the world I've been in for a while. It's sort of like where I started, um, in college and whatnot, but it's not the world I've been in most of my professional career. But like, that's where you can really tell the pros from the, not the hacks, not the like what the people, the people that really excel above the rest, um, is when like the camera is not pointing on them, Mm -hmm. but they're still doing their thing. Right. And they're still like really doing their thing. And, and, you know, like obviously when it's time for your close up, you're going to do it a little bigger or a little more specifically to what you want to be like noticed or like what you're going to bring into it. But Mm -hmm. like the different between like the top of the top that I've seen work versus the kind of like, all right, well, they're kind of just in it for fame or money or phone it in. It's like if the camera's not on them or they're not like specifically, it's not just their close up. They're kind of just like they're checked out a little doing bit. it and not like checked out, but just sort of just like going through the motions. Right. And, just yeah. like saying the lines. There's like nothing really there. It's just really, like, all right, this is, this is the part where it's not about me. You know, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So it's like, when you're around the greats, you're just like, oh, they're just in it all the time. And it's and that's not to say like the method thing where it's just like Jim Carrey was always Andy Kaufman. You know, like that's a whole different level. That's, you know, like whatever. If that works for you, cool. If that, you know. You know, though, the thing like I watched that documentary mm-hmm. and the thing with it is the thing that I think about what he did and I respect like not being there, but the way it was portrayed, at least in that documentary. Mm hmm is that the whole cast and crew kind of was in in on it with him in a way or went with him yeah. on that. Um, when you were talking about the actor that's kind of singing and performing all the time, the problem with that a lot of times is it's distracting and disrupting of other people's process totally. <laughs> like oh absolutely absolutely and like it's... quiet on the like quiet on the set or like go somewhere else or be aware like even if it's not a situation where like you're rolling for speed or whatever mm-hmm. like if other people have scenes coming up and you're like down like respect that other people are like working oh yeah and that it's not about you in that moment you know well it's a very interesting like it's a very interesting process, uh, filmmaking, theater, just creating any sort of like performing art uh, project. It's very interesting because you're not necessarily, unless it's something like you're doing a really small movie and it's like with your friends and you have specifically selected exactly who's going to be there, then it's like you've set, you've made that bed for yourself. These are people that you really want to be around. And if something, if, if one of those, you know, people, you know, if you get a bad apple, like, you know what, you pick that apple, that's on you. That's, that's your thing. But on these bigger productions and even like sort of medium sized productions, like you come in as a person who's there to perform a task, be it like the role that you're playing or, you know, like if you're the sound guy, you're like, you know, like the, a prop person or um, whatever, like whatever you're there to do, you're just kind of there, you're doing your job and you're just there with whoever else they got to do that. Mm-hmm. So like, these are not it's like it it's not even like it is it's starting a brand new job with like a new corporation every few months yeah so it's like you get there and you just hope for the best that it's going to be like everybody's going to be really good at their job and really cool and almost always there's going to be at least one or two that's just sort of like all right this just doesn't gel or like this 
person's process is a little different or this, you know, like you're just sort of slammed in with these personalities. Um, it's, I don't know. It's very funny. I've been, uh, everything I do lately is compared to this, but like, so I'm, I'm my friend, uh, directed this Moby Dick documentary that I, that I helped, uh, helped him produce. And every time I like read that, I've read that book three times now, when he asked me to like make, help him make the movie, I'd never read it. And I've read it three times and I'm obsessed with it, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, it's with a book about obsession, you know? Yeah. Um, but I think about like, back in the back in the day when like you would get on a whaling ship and it's like you sort of like get on and you're just like you pop on board you're on this mission you've got this goal to accomplish and like this is what you're doing and you're just stuck with these strangers and there's no there's no getting out like and so you just have to like learn how to do the thing that you're all there to do despite any differences that you may have and you just kind of have to hope that everybody's cool you're um, on the ride and you have to do your job to the best of your ability. Absolutely. And, and maybe, maybe it'll be something glorious will happen. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, maybe. And yeah. and I think there is something glorious about doing it over and over again. Like the work itself, the process mm-hmm. you have to fall in love with. But yeah, it's not when you're doing it, you're not chasing. You can't chase the glory moment while you're in it. Like mm-hmm. you have to just be in it. Yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like it, depending on your situation and like what kind of job it is like i ideally you've selected that particular project because it's something that you're at least kind of passionate about or think could be kind of cool yeah but if you're you know if you're just a crew person just making a living you're just going to be like this is the call that came in they met my rate i'm just going to go do it regardless of what it is you know yeah and i've been very lucky in even in things like that like day job projects like i can't think back I've, and I've had people ask me this question, like, is there something you worked on that was just like a paycheck that you ultimately like kind of think was awful and you rather wouldn't have been a part of? And I've been very lucky. I have nothing like that, I don't think. Now, there's one thing. I guess there's one thing. There was this terrible like plastic surgery reality show that I like helped hand out flyers for back in Kentucky once that I was like, that show shouldn't have ever existed. But like I did next to nothing on it. But I mean, other than that. I've been very fortunate. Not everybody can say that. Not everybody can say like, you know, a lot of people I've worked with have, you know, like, oh, I worked on this movie and like, I just, I really didn't like what it said or like it got, you know, it's not even a matter of it like getting bad press or having bad reviews. It's a matter of like just not being cool with what it said. Um, I had a little bit of conflict. I had a little bit of conflict about being on John Wick. I was on well, John Wick 2. Which was amazing, and I loved it, and all the people on it, and they're actually, they're, I think they started shooting three. I think they might start shooting three on Monday, um, which just the timing didn't work out, so I couldn't jump onto that. But when I first, I actually almost worked on the first John Wick, ended up not able to do that because they sort of had a couple of false starts with it, um, and I ended up going to New Orleans to work on something else, but I had some friends work on it. So I almost worked on the first John Wick, ended up working on John Wick 2, which was great. But when I first read this first, when I first read the script for the first John Wick, I was like, I don't, I'm so anti-gun. Mm-hmm. I'm intensely anti-gun. Like it's, it's, it's a sticking point with me. I'm not very political. I'm not very whatever. I grew up in Kentucky and I've never shot a gun and I just don't think, you know, whatever I'll say it. Like, I don't think anyone needs a gun. No one needs a gun. Like if we could wipe the planet of guns, we'd be cool. Like, you know, and even people are like, you know, oh, what about the military or the cops? 
I don't know, maybe we can just figure out a world where even they don't need them. I don't know. I just don't like them. They like there's no no good comes of them at right. all. Like at all. Like as an invention, they are a thing that was like, "Oh, that's neat. Let's never use that." So I that's my personal opinion on it. And so like when I first read the script for the first John Wick, first off I was like, "Seriously, this guy's going to go nuts cuz somebody killed his dog?" But you have a dog though. You understand that. I jo- totally, I totally, absolutely. <laughs> you have two dogs. I said that. Yeah, yeah I have two. Yo, I'm totally a dog person. And Elizabeth, my wife, whatever I first said that, she was just like, whatever, I would do that. I would totally go full John Wick if anybody ever hurt Belly. Um, I would too, trust yeah, me. Yeah, absolutely. But when I first read it, I had a little, I was like, I don't know, this is really glorifying. This is like, but I've kind of come around. I've come around. Like, I think, I think that there isn't, like, it's not a magic bullet. I think there's like a catharsis that comes from just being like, all right, this is in the movies. This is a fantasy world. And maybe this is me rationalizing for myself because it was such a good group of people to work with and such a fun project. But like I've come around, I've come around to being like, no, maybe that's where guns belong is in like a fantasy world. Let's keep them out of reality, but let's keep watching movies about people going, hitman going nuts, you know, like with their other network of hitman friends. Like I don't, so I don't know, but other other than that, like I've been very very lucky um, for the projects that I've worked on, and it is it's, you know it's like that whale ship. I've just I've I've jumped onto a lot of whale ships with a lot of strangers, and I've been very fortunate that like everything has had a pretty decent reward, and everybody's been pretty cool. So, so let's uh, talk about a little bit about what you've been working on lately, like I'd say like the past year or two, and yep. then uh, maybe take it back farther or we can start back and go, go back a little bit forward well, the last the last couple of years uh i've been working on the showtime tv show billions um which just got renewed for season four today um another great group of people um really good show like i hadn't seen it really when i when i took the job to mm-hmm. do season two i didn't do season one i didn't do the pilot didn't do season one and it's going into Three, you said? Three or? is what's airing right now. Season okay. three is airing now. And then it's going to go. Season four will start shooting, I think, in like September or something. Um, so I've been doing that. It's my first like real episodic series that I did, and I kind of wanted to get a taste for that because um, that's what's happening right now. Like That's what everything is, basically, if you don't yeah. want to like go to Atlanta and work on Marvel movies. Which would be cool yeah. to do once or twice. I don't know. I would also be down to be in a sequel of Black Panther <laughs> as an Atlantean. Oh my god, how good was that? How good was so Black good. Panther, dude? Um, oh, we're going to see Infinity War tomorrow night. I'm so jacked. Um, so, been working on that. That's been great. Um, prior to that, it was mostly just like bouncing around movies. Uh, actually, between seasons, I did a little indie movie that should be coming out fairly soon with uh, Martin Freeman nice and uh, Marina Baccarin who is just oh, yeah. terrific like amazing she's just one of these people she's from uh, Firefly from Firefly right? and Deadpool to throw it way and, like, back like, oh yeah I know the original oh no dude yeah. absolutely yeah no no for sure um, brown coats forever dude the uh, <laughs> so and she's she she's so amazing because she's one of those like she would come in like no makeup, just kind of like showing up on set and like you'd look at her and you're like, you're somehow in like, you're just like resting state of having just shown up to work, like still stunning, stunning beyond even on camera. Right. But then like she would, st- you know, get a little bit of work done or whatever, like by the hair and makeup people, but then step on camera. And I don't really know how to describe this, but um, it, whatever angle you shot her from, 
stunning whatever yeah. angle and i and, and it's not all that's not always the case it's not you no. know it's it, it's 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 a crazy like i don't know the idea of just being like photogenic or like really just popping on on camera on a screen is such and i've been doing this for what 15 years or whatever at this point which is not terribly long but like long enough to the fact that i'm still mesmerized by that just being like i don't like what how does that work like what is i'm such a like science guy you know i'm like i need some sort of like factual information as to why that happens with certain people and doesn't with other people like i don't know it's it's a crazy crazy thing but um but so yeah i did that movie that was a lot of fun that was a little small um project that i did last summer what's the is there a name for it yet it's or called, is that under i well it's called ode to joy um like the beethoven song i don't that's what it was called i don't know if it's gonna still be called that i haven't really i'm not sure i'm not sure exactly what it's gonna i think that that's probably gonna stick um i don't know exactly what their plan is with it i think there's gonna be like sales screen you know like for like some some buyer screenings or something right. out in la I'm not exactly sure what the process is. I haven't talked to anybody about it for a little while, but um, it's a fun little romantic comedy. It's um, it's actually based on a This American Life um, segment about a guy who, oh, what is the disease called? Or did, not disease, maybe like disorder. But basically, it's about a guy who can't get happy because something happens with like some chemistry in his brain. Like if he actually like finds himself getting joy from something, he passes out immediately. Mm. So he has to actively live his life in a way that he's only like upset or like middle about everything. So like there's a whole segment, I would say spoiler alert, but whatever, it's not really. It's like, so like he'll just like keep passing these happy things and he just has to like avoid. It's like he's walking through, he lives in New York, <laughs> he lives in New York City too, which is perfect because he's like, you know, I think there's a whole section of dialogue about just like, no, New York City's the perfect place for a guy like me to be. It's like, yeah. it's like you can be pissed off about whatever you want all the time. So of course it's a romantic comedy about a guy with this disorder meeting a girl and like falling for her. So it's it's cute, man. It's it, it should be it should be pretty good. And um this guy Jason Weiner, who you know is like creator of Modern Family and uh, that show Life in Pieces on CBS, is uh, is directing it. It's it should be cute. It should be good. Belly's in it. Um, she nice. Has a, yeah, my dog Belmont is uh, has a little cameo in it. And so, what were you doing? And, and what do you primarily do? I so know it's different. It is. It well. So, right. So, like my stuff, I like I write, I direct, I produce my own stuff. So that's sort of like smaller. I want to say side project, but it's kind of becoming more main project now. It, it it just kind of depends on 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 where I am with different different projects that I have going on. But so mainly what I what my passion is and what I like doing is I'm, I write, direct, I produce things, you know, smaller smaller budget things. My day job, quote unquote, I like to say, is that I work in production management on larger things. So. Um, you know, production supervising on bigger stuff, production manager on a little bit smaller stuff. Uh, I'll line produce um, certain things. So it's sort of all in that sort of budgetary uh, unit managing command communication. I come from a production office background, so I was a production coordinator for several years. Kind of came up that way. Um, so that's that's sort of what I do. Um, yeah right now trying to figure out like 
what exact trajectory I'm going to go in moving forward. I think I'm going to try and focus a little more on my on my stuff just because that's something that's kind of gone by the wayside. Like when you're working on a production schedule, like on a on a real, like it takes big, over. It's it. It's your entire life. It's yeah. it's genuinely like you're working 12 hour days minimum, and like if you get done in like a 14, 15, 16 hour day, you're just like, oh, okay, great. You have just enough time to get home and like go to sleep and wake up the next day. Yeah, which is crazy and a lot of people maybe don't know that about like the like physical production life where it's like all this great content you're seeing. Um, it's, it's great for work wise, right? Like, so like New York city specific, uh, specifically is just exploding right now. There's so many shows here, but just the, uh, the amount of hours and the work and the people that go into that are just, it's, it's such an intense thing. Um, and I'm not super into the culture of it. I think it's kind of gone off the rails. Like, and it's and, and when you're in like the production management side of it, you really have to kind of focus on this because like because of those hours and stuff, you really have to be concerned with safety. It's like, you know, people are working those crazy hours and then driving an hour home depending on where you're shooting. It's like you just like, you know, I mean, what was it? What was that show? Um was it Riverdale? There was some show where like somebody was like driving home after a sixteen hour day and they like careened into a ditch or something. And, oh, wow. and there was you know, and that happens. It mm-hmm. does happen. And it's sort of it's the kind of thing you just have to be like all right, guys, look, I say this all the time. I'm like, guys, we're not saving lives here. We're not heart surgeons. We're just like, we're playing. I, I say this all the time. And um, who was kind of, who was kind of giving me shit about it? It's like, no, your job's a bigger deal than that. And I'm like, I don't know if it is, man. Like, it's fun. But like, I always say I play make-believe for a living. I like, I went to college. I decided that I liked telling stories. I like being a part of that process. And so I'm, you know. I'm a, I'm a guy. I'm almost forty years old. I play make believe for a living. That's what I do. I mean, one of the best actors of all time developed a great kind of disdain for the thing that he did and is known for, uh, Brando. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like it. Yeah, I know what you mean. Like I, I do think it's a great thing, and unfortunately, or fortunately for myself, like I've tried a couple times to like completely black it out. And then, like a fool, like it's like I still like it. Like it, it just mm-hmm. keep, will always keep coming back somehow. Very, very Brando. They, 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 you try to get out, and they just keep pulling. You <laughs> but yeah, but um, but you know, I think it is great. Like so, like Black Panther, for example, and like the social aspect of that. Like mm-hmm. th- that's been a huge debate. Like I think a lot of uh, black people in America. And worldwide, actually, like it's like a great thing because it's like the first big budget movie where they're like, like black people were represented in all aspects of it and in a positive light, all these different things. Mm-hmm. And then some people were like, oh, well, what is it doing? And it's like, well, actually, like one thing that that does is open up a lot of doors mm-hmm. and it employs a lot of people. It gives a lot of people like by working on that movie like a lot of people who maybe that was like their first big thing. Totally. It's a launch pad for so many others. And that's a good thing. Like that's kind of how things should be in a way. Well, it's also like, it's also, think of the kids that saw that movie. Yeah. That are like, that see 32 year, I think 32 year old Ryan Coogler just directed the the biggest movie in the world. Yeah. And like, oh man, if you listen to any of the stuff, like there's a, I think like a Vanity Fair, like dissection of the, of the casino scene that he does, like this nine minute long video. Yeah. I'm like, 
it's one of whatever like oh I, how I, how deep how thoughtful everything oh my god yeah. dude and like i get you know what i get a little actory in this too where like i just get so humbled sometimes where like i'm listening to him talking i'm like this guy's amazing i'm never gonna be as cool as this guy <laughs> like coogler like is just incredible but so think of all the like kids across the world that are just like gonna see that and be like I can do that. I want to do that. That's what I want to do. I want to be on screen or I want to direct or I want to write the next, you know, cool Black Panther, you know, like black superhero movie. Or I want to, you know, like I want to make, you know, the big Asian superhero movie or I want to make, you know, like whatever. Like just, just it opens, it opens the possibility to, the older I get, the more I, I think the importance of, of any sort of quote unquote success that you have is really like the the payout of that and what our responsibility is ultimately is to pay that forward into the, the generations to follow. Right. Yeah. So really like anything that I do that I do well, I really think that it's irresponsible of me not to pay that forward to like some kid that's like, Hey, can you tell me like, could you help me get a PA job or could you, you know, I have some questions. Can we meet up for coffee about like getting into the business or can I like what, like that's the kind of stuff that like, I'm always happy to do that kind of thing because I'm like, listen, I can't do this forever. I can try and do the best that I can and make this a better environment and try and put better stories out into the world. But like, it's now it's up to you, kid. Thanks for reaching out. I'm going to put you to work, you know, kind of thing. So yeah, I mean like a movie like Black Panther, I just think about, you know, there's some like, eight-year-old kid that's sitting in like texas or something that's like gonna win the academy award in 30 years or whatever because they saw black panther you know yes so that's that's the kind of stuff that like really kind of wakes me up in the morning and lights me up when like with regardless of what i'm working on um but no that i mean that movie specific i'm so glad it did well like i'm just incredibly glad it did well and like with And I think we needed something like that because the world was starting to get, and we'll see how this Infinity War does, but like, I'm such a comic nerd guy and people were starting to get like Marvel fatigue. And I'm like, no guys, this should go on forever. I'm with you hundred (laughs) percent. I'm not, I'm not at all fatigued. I'm all about it. Mm -hmm. um, Hands down. Um, Exactly. Yeah. Keep them coming. Exactly. I don't, how do we get to, what were we talking about? Okay. So whatever. So that's what I was doing for the last couple of years. Mm -hmm. Um, Billions worked on another movie, uh, Ode to Joy. And since you were saying it, because I was going to bring it up later, but um, what would you suggest to maybe somebody who wants to get into filmmaking, uh, PAing, um, going to school? Like, I mean, and there's, I know also there's no one way to do it. Right. But like, yeah. What do you think from it where d- you are now? Totally. It, it depends. And I, and exactly what you said, like, and I feel like I heard this on a previous episode, like there's no, and I've said this, I've gone back to talk at my college, which always feels weird. Cause I'm like, guys, I'm not that big a deal. Um, but again, I do like to kind of offer what I can just from the time that I've been doing this. There isn't one set path. There isn't one thing to do. I'm not going to be like film school is the way to go, you know, go to USC or go to NYU or go to full sale or go to, you know, NIFA or whatever. Like I, I, I don't, I don't encourage that. I don't discourage that because the reality is the reality is you're going to come out of that getting the same job that you would if you just 
came out of high school and like found a movie shoot in your hometown and were like, Hey, uh, can you put me to work? Yeah. You know, you're, you're still going to get the PA job. You're still going to get, you know, the like assistant job or you're still going to get whatever you're, it doesn't necessarily elevate you when you come out of like a film program. Um, but what it does do is it kind of gives you those connections that are going to keep working in that same industry that you're going to like, you know, one will become a studio exec. The other one will go work in a writer's room. The other one will work in physical production. The other one will work, you know, like, yeah, the network. So the network that you make and also like, and you end up having to pay for these while you're in school. I mean, you'll have a lot of debt if you go to film school, depending on, especially if you go to one of the bigger ones, but you will make movies, you will make projects, you will have things and you will learn in that, in that way. Um, but you're not necessarily from a like a professional standpoint. You're not gonna like jumpstart into like a, a a higher level position. You're still gonna have an entry level position whether you like just go find a movie that's shooting or go to a film program and get like your masters or whatever. So I don't encourage or discourage film school in any way. Um, I think internships are good, but I just, there was this thing online that, um, Lisa McNulty, who runs the women's project theater, um, put some article up the other day online about how I, internships always drive me crazy in the, like the, the culture of unpaid work in general really bothers me just because it's so, what's the word? Like it's so, there's such a class divide. Like, the people who can afford to right. work for free are people whose like parents are paying their rent for them or are people that like, you know, trust fund kids. And that's not always the case. Again, I never want to generalize on that, but it really favors people who like move to New York city, move to LA and can afford to like work for nothing for a year or two years. Whereas, you know, kid from like an underserved community wants to do the exact same thing, but like has to have two jobs to be able to like, help support himself, him or herself and family and whatever. And then like, we'll also go try and do an internship, but it's infinitely harder for that person to do that. So I, I also feel like I've like, this is just a observation of New York. I definitely know people who've gotten in internships and then been hired. Mm-hmm. I also think that there are companies out there in general right now, especially in New York but I would guess in LA as well, there are, and this isn't every company, but I do think there are certain companies that realize they can have like free labor through these internships. Mm -hmm. And there's absolutely like no plan or like no program oh, sure. to like, to oh, make yeah. it be anything other than kind of a greedy absolutely. free labor. For absolutely. And that's, and you know, that's, and that's, depending on the on the company and like the ethics of the company you're talking about and that, that happens with smaller companies a lot because they just, they just genuinely like have a workload that they can't take care of unless they have extra free hands um i mean and, and that happened on indie film for a long time and it's still happening not on things that i you know things i hear about i don't associate with them but i mean uh that movie black swan fox got into a lot of trouble for that a while back because they, they had some interns that came back and were like listen we were working way too long it wasn't a learning experience we were 100% free labor and I'm paraphrasing I don't know yeah. anything really about the case but I know that that specifically that movie and that studio got in trouble for that so it's been different since people have been a lot more sensitive about it um I know there's studios 
that I've worked with closely that specifically won't do unpaid interns because of that. It's like you can have an intern, but you have to pay that intern at least, you know, like whatever the hourly minimum wage right. is for that, you know, for have to record the hours, have to get paid. Um, and it, it's, it's a problem because of the workload, like I was saying, on these movies and on, you know, like the, the, the intense amount of stuff things that you're trying to do the footage you're trying to get during like a 24-hour day it's just the culture of of filmmaking tv all of it has just it's pushed so far to the the bursting point that i want to say you can't fault people for being like well we just i mean if look if they're willing to help for free that's great it's good experience but like you have to fault them for that because you have to think of it further than that you have to be like it's that's just not cool. It's not good. So like whenever I'm in any sort of internship situation, it's like you're gonna work, you know, four or five hours a day. You're gonna make sh- any task that you have is not gonna be like oh because someone else was annoyed and didn't want to do that. You're gonna be doing something that you're learning through. It is gonna be a learning experience. And, you know, and and again, this is like I want to say it's been two or three years since I've even worked. No, we had no, we had a couple interns on this movie this last summer, and it was very, I was very like hyper into that process because i was like you're here to learn you're not here to be free labor what are you doing right now and like you know you just so there's value in it but i don't know that i would recommend that either because i don't want to endorse it because i want everyone to be able i mean there's so much content right now everyone and it i don't want to say it's the easiest thing in the world to get into so it's not like everyone can do it hey you want to be a filmmaker you want to go work in movies or tv just like you know just strike out and say that you want to do it and you'll get a job. It's kind of tough to come by. Like you have to know the right people. You have to like know the avenues, but it's not impossible. I didn't know anybody getting into it. I just, I was working in a, I was managing a sunglass hut in downtown Cincinnati and I saw a flyer that I hear on the radio that that movie Seabiscuit was looking for extras. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll go do that. And I like went and I happened to like be the right costume size. Yeah. So I went and froze my ass off in the middle of uh, Keeneland in Kentucky, down in Lexington, wearing a suit from the 1940s that I actually ended up ripping the crotch out of, and they, the costume people hated me. But so I was down there, and I was like 22 years old, and just like bugged the hell out of all the production people. I was like, hey, what are you doing? What's going on? Can I help you? It looks like what you're doing. You're just like counting things? Can I help you count stuff? Can I? Hey, what? And like just being the annoying kid that's like, I want to do this. I happen to be in the door because I'm here being one of the like hundred assholes in the middle of this horse racing track during this scene or whatever. And so I just annoyed people until I got a couple phone numbers or like put out the feelers. And then that thing led to somebody calling me about some other thing that they were doing a little short project that then led to me being able to get a job at the local TV station, running a camera. And then that led to a little indie film that like, I'm still friends with the director of that. And, that had I then had enough of a resume to then go work on this movie Elizabeth Town, which was like one of my favorite directors coming to my hometown to make a movie. So it's like Cameron Crowe rolls into town on like his new project that uh, was like my first real quote unquote real like movie job. Mm-hmm. And then it all just kind of went from there. But it's like I don't want to say that anybody can do it, but like kind of anybody well i think that's the same i mean that's the so it's like going back to like school and that type of thing and again thinking about the bradley whitford thing and this is a juilliard guy Mm -hmm. and did you hear how like timid he was about that too he almost wanted to just be like and then i (laughs) (laughs) 
like, like he wanted to just be like, you know. But it's it's an interesting thing because he was talking about it, and I think about all of my different detours and opportunities that I look back on. And I'm like, what the fuck was I doing? Like mm-hmm. with certain op- now, I realize huge opportunities, and some of them I took advantage of, and some like like learning lessons. Um, but when I I went back to school when I was 24 and that was kind of a weird choice and I have debt now because of that choice. And I did not go to like one of the big schools. I did go to a BFA program Mm -hmm. and it was good. I think overall for me as like a human being, like the best thing about it, like I feel like I fully came into myself during the time there Mm -hmm. and it has everything to do with my peers that were there at the time Mm -hmm. just amazing people and being in that environment like you know like but you could do that by working in by working in theater and movies and stuff too yeah um but one of the things that drove me crazy and like still leaves a bad taste in my mouth about the whole experience is the program and the faculty telling some people they could be actors and other people they couldn't um because having been out there it's like trust me i know like that there are people working in this industry that don't like that are not particularly talented like sometimes they sometimes their talent is that some some people are just really good and talented at marketing themselves like mm-hmm. naturally like just on like pre-facebook everything just some yep. people are natural networkers and sell themselves very mm-hmm. well um but like but you work with them and it's like they're not <laughs> the best right by right. any means um so like for a school to sit there and tell people that and especially when i'm sitting there looking at them and i'm like they i can see where maybe in that particular assessment performance or whatever they didn't do the best work but i've seen their work Mm -hmm. and i know their potential so don't tell me and don't tell them Mm -hmm. that they're not capable of being actors because really like if you want to be an actor be an act like if you want to do it like just have to understand that the whole business is actually kind of like that so that's like the flip side is that is the whole business. Like, it's not all fair. There are weird things about it. But ultimately, like, yeah, like, if you still enjoy it, mm-hmm. you can do it. Now, it doesn't, that doesn't mean you're going to be a movie star. Like, you could be, you could not be, or you could be, like, way later, or you could be if you lived a little bit long. You know what I mean? Who right. knows how that goes? Yep. But yep. to say that somebody doesn't have the potential mm-hmm. when they absolutely like it's so arbitrary and- it's all so arbitrary and i was i was just having this conversation i was just in la last week just kind of doing the usual like hey la i talk to you all the time i gotta come out here every couple of years and just you know whatever just kind of put the time and do the rounds do the meetings or whatever and i was talking to a friend about this like it and again it goes back to like how much respect i have for actors because there's just so much just like psychological mind fuck nonsense that goes into it like so to what you're saying, you could be, as a, if we're going to scale people as like, who's a good actor, who's not, you could be like a number, you could be like a nine out of 10, like incredible actor. And you will lose a part to a five out of 10, like middling kind of can pull it off actor. 
because they have a different jawline than you. Right. Or because, like, cause it's so arbitrary to, like, the vision of whoever is the gatekeeper on that particular thing. Or, like, you know, if you were two inches taller, you would have gotten it over the person that got it. You know, it, like, talent is important, but, like, also it's so random as to, like, when you were in what city at the right time and what angle you shot your audition video for. Like, there's so many factors mm. that... And that goes back into the psychology of it, because then it's like, if you do lose out on, out on a part that you really, really wanted, then, like, I can't even... I haven't even been in this position, but, like, I know that if I was, I'd be like, oh, if only I had done this, or if maybe if I'd, like, put lifts in my shoes, or, oh, maybe if I had shot this from a different angle, or, oh, if I had... That you thought, know, those thoughts kill you. Yeah, <laughs> like, or like if I like you know if I if I had sort of like had this sort of intonation in my voice during that particular part of that material, or you know, so that's the sort of thing that like I I don't know I endless respect, absolutely endless respect. And the thing that you were saying about as far as like going to school and whatever, like I quit my trajectory in college was that I actually was an art major, like a physical, like I wanted to draw comic books for a living. Like that was what I wanted to do for a while. Like draw comics or be a physical artist or whatever. Like I draw, I paint a little bit. Like it, it's a thing that I sort of like, this sounds pompous do you still... as fuck, but like I have like a natural ability at it. No, that's... Um, and and I, and I it's never really gone anywhere with me, sort of like storyboarding my own stuff from time to time where like I'll... I like to storyboard. We couldn't afford a storyboard artist on this movie this last summer. So I was like, guys, we really should storyboard this. I'll just do it. And like, I did it. And everybody was like, oh, dude, you can like draw. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, anyway. So like, here's all. Yeah, this it was like a stunt visual effects thing. And I'm like, we're not just going to go in there and hope for the best. Like, we need storyboards for this. So like, but I wanted to do, I want to draw comics or like be like a, you know, like a, a fine arts guy. You know, when I first came out of college, I thought maybe that. Um, so I was an art major and then I actually was a music major and then whatever, I had this like epiphany where like all these things that I just like, when I don't want to be working and I just want to be doing something fun, all of the things that I thought that I would want to be doing all sort of came together in film and video, like TV, like yeah. basically came together in film. It was like, you know, drawing. I kind of thought I wanted to be an architect for a little while. Like I like music. I like, you know, photography, like all of these things. I was like, oh, they're all in film and I love movies. So that's sort of like, yeah what got me into that um writing you know the whole thing like i've been writing forever um but so but i was an art major first i go to this uh this college um in louisville when i went that you know like i almost went to notre dame couldn't afford it but got in that was a whole other like life crossroads that right. i had um ended up going to a small um probably Catholic... for the best totally i mean yeah. i wouldn't have met my wife dude like it's like one of those things like if you think of like if you if I zigged instead of zagged, like my entire world would be different, and I'd be hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt or whatever. Yeah. So, but I was an art major at this at this small Catholic college in Louisville, Louisville for you listeners. Sorry, Louisville, Kentucky, born and raised. Um, so I go to this place and I'm an art major and I get in there and I, I taking art classes and I'm drawing and they're teaching like the fundamentals or whatever. But I had a similar experience where it was like. I saw like classmates being like judged by these professors being like, you know, like, oh, your technique's fine, but like, oh, I don't basically being judged by like whether or not that person liked what they were doing. And I genuinely quit that major because I was like, well, I don't know. Just teach me like the 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 mechanics of what we're doing. Don't right. judge me on the content of like it's art. It's art. Like if I'm doing like, 
a weird abstract like vase of flowers versus like doing a hyper realistic like photo real version of that those are two entirely different things and like your personal opinion over which one of those you like more should not factor into my grade yeah and you know it's like some of the best artists like of all mediums yeah across all time some of the best were not the best students Mm -hmm. at one point or another Mm -hmm. like sometimes maybe they were later but like yeah like some of the best artists that you can think of were told by somebody that they weren't cut out for it right i kept doing it anyway yeah exactly yeah it's so that's a weird thing and it's like i expect the other thing with the college thing i think is that you have people who've been a lot of times who've been teaching for a while Mm -hmm. and like art and everything evolves oh so sometimes they're judging things based on when they were coming up and they can't recognize like the new like the new sure not t- like you know what I mean the new interpretation like, well, the it, new totally. it well it's a weird thing because like I I taught high school like when I was trying to figure out what the fuck my life was gonna be I taught at my old high school for a year and I really fell in love with teaching um and if I ever decide I'm gonna stop like making movies or TV or whatever for a living then I will 100% go back to teaching because it's probably one of the I think it might be sort of like making my own movie finally after as long as it took me like it's it might be the most rewarding thing that I've ever done. Cause like to know that you're like actually affecting lives and like, there's, you know, there's kids that I taught back in 2003 or whatever that was like that are in LA, like working in production now or like, nice. you know, like I, one that's like a DJ and like really killing it and like doing really, and like it, it's just genuinely, it falls back to that like paying it forward idea that I was, I was talking about earlier, yeah. but like, it's weird because you can the teaching profession it's 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 strange because it's such a shat upon profession in a way right like the whole thing with uh oh my god our fucking governor in Kentucky and the bullshit that he said uh, last week or a couple weeks ago whatever so like teachers teachers are that was the there was West Virginia and then Kentucky was like kind of the next big one right Kentucky like, was the one and then like yeah the teachers went on yeah. strike and then our fucking governor was like guaranteed that some kids were being molested because they weren't in school like genuinely I'm like just fucking jump into the sea dude like yeah, I, I lowest can't common to, yeah so you know and again like I'm not a huge politics guy but like fuck yourself <laughs> like come on and so I think teachers are so important, so unsung, and so underpaid. And there, and there is, though, there is an element of that, like, you know, people say, like, you know, those who can do, those who can't teach, you know, which is a terrible thing, really, to say, because there's plenty out there that are, like, working and teaching, you know, like, I, I mean, there's producers here in New York that I've worked with that are also, like, professors at Columbia, so it's, like... Yeah. So it's, like... It, it, it's it's crazy though because like there's this weird contradiction and like like they are so important in in the arts they're so important in just everything really science math all of it the stem all of it um specifically though we're talking about the arts they're so important in the arts but there is an element of like they are teaching they have been probably a teacher at that same university for a while they probably aren't so up on like what the latest trends are and whatever it it depends on the school depends on the professor depends on the whatever i mean you get to like high school and all that too like it 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 depends it's it's a little bit of a crapshoot but regardless so there's a little there is an element of that there's an element of just like 
who are you to tell me like whether my stuff's good? But then you're also like an asshole kid. So like, you're going to have that pompous pushback a little bit. Oh yeah. But so it's hard for me to like, and I have a mentor who definitely was right about some things. (laughs) Right. 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 Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sometimes like even, especially when you're younger like that and like hearing that stuff is harsh, but you're like, you need to hear it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. No. Um, so it's weird. I like, I don't know that I'm making the most like coherent point on it, but it's like, I think teachers are, I feel like as, as we all hear time and again, and is so right. No, true. I think like, I'm they're not... so unsung and incredible. No, 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 I'm not. I'm not also not refuting what you're saying. Yeah. Because you're hundred percent correct. I was in the same scenario where I was like, whatever asshole art teacher. Like if you don't like, but I know. think it's for me, I think more, it's not the teacher. It's the, um, the whole structure of the institutions. Mm-hmm. It's the whole structure of our educational system Totally. where, yeah, the, it's a problem. Like the high school teachers should be paid they should be paid like the same way we paid college professors. Actually, like yeah. I think it's formative years. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Well, I so like at least closer to that. Like uh, they should, they should definitely be paid more. Money. Like formative like, years, I think, are important. It's just like preventative health. It's like these are the things that, for the rest of your life, your doctor, like your doctor, yeah, if something's really bad. You go to a specialist and they're going to like find out what's really bad. But nine times out of 10, mm-hmm. I mean, don't, I don't want to say that definitive number, but mm-hmm. a lot of times these major health issues, there were things sometimes that, I mean, we're, you know, we're not going to be here forever, mm-hmm. but a lot of health issues by leading a more healthy lifestyle, a lot of things are preventable. Mm-hmm. Like, to a degree, you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so a lot of times your regular physician is saying some basic thing. Like, it's like, okay, yeah, like this, and maybe you need this medication, but like maybe you need to change your lifestyle up right. this way a little right, bit. Right. And it's like, it all comes down to like preventative. So it's like with teachers, it's like, yeah, the formative years, man. Well, what, I get what you're saying. It's like, it's like that, the, the, the difference between the, the general salary of those two professions is so astronomical. And like, and I actually, I kind of thought about it in a, from a different analogy standpoint, but you saying that is actually perfect because like, think back when you were in, think back when you were in third grade, can you tell me who your doctor was? I can, yeah. <laughs> I I personally can't, and I'd be curious if you know, like other people listening. And maybe I'm wrong on yeah. this, but like, but why if I, I go to third grade, if I go to seventh grade, if I go to like high school, I can't tell you who my doctor was, but I can 100 percent tell you who my teacher was yeah. or who my favorite teacher was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I can't tell you who my the name of my dentist from back then. I can't tell you. You know, I, I let's think of anybody else who like gets paid an astronomical amount of money. Like, listen, I had braces. I went to the orthodontist all the time. I don't remember my orthodontist name, right? But like, any of my teacher, you know, like Mr. Hicks was the guy who taught me grammar in seventh grade, and you know, like taught me the definition of a sentence, which I I feel like I could probably still recite right now. I don't want to fumble it, but like, you know, you know, that guy is still the reason why when someone like does a Facebook post and they don't know Y-O-U-R versus Y-O apostrophe R-E, I'm like, no, but I hate when sometimes though, I will say like, especially like from the phone and autocorrect and stuff like that, or predictive text, predictive texting, predictive typing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it's like from the phone, I like write something really quick 
post and then like i glance and i'm like damn it dude we like, all no we all I go do back that. and edit my shit we all like, do that i'm such a I've, i'm getting to be such a like get off my lawn old man about that stuff too because i'm like these stupid phones are killing all of our grammar skills you know <laughs> yeah like which whatever i think i, I need to turn off predictive text actually because a lot of times like it's helpful it's a little bit faster but yeah. then if i have to go back and edit it yeah and I feel dumb because I'm like, damn it, I know the difference between your, your, and your, and there, there, and there. Right, right. Um, it happens, though, <laughs> man. And then, like, you know, <laughs> I I do get a little too a little too intense about it. But, like, I, I do think that there's, I mean, man, I was talking to a friend of it's mine. It's important, though, those basic, like, writing. like. Well, I think it just feeds into so many other things. Yeah. It, it's just from a disciplinary standpoint, if nothing else. But I... This this blew my mind the other day. I was talking to a friend of mine who's got a a, a kid in school. You know, like I want to say like tween, like like eleven, twelve years old. They're not even teaching cursive anymore. Like they don't yeah. even teach kids how to write in cursive anymore. Which I get it. Everybody's typing all the time. Like what? Like in my brain, it makes sense. Like oh yeah, I guess that's like a, a it makes a dead sense thing. <laughs> but it's so. But it blows my mind that like that one makes sense to me because that's one. When I was growing up, and probably my brother had to do it, my little brother, but like, I feel like we're like the last generation that learned it. But yeah. at the time, I'm like, why? What? Can we just skip this? And can I just <laughs> type some shit out? But like, like what happens next? Are we gonna stop teaching kids math? Because like, oh no, your phone will do that. Well, well, <laughs> they used to not allow like calculators in tests, but it's like I think the math gets more. The math gets more advanced. Yeah. Yeah. To where you know what I mean? Like I do. I no, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. It's, so it's some of it I like for the basic stuff, like for basic like I think it's important to learn basic addition and basic multiplication and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But but it's crazy because now like with the whole interconnected world that we live in, we're learning is it Japan, I think has a whole different way of like adding or like multiplying what? and it's with like lines and i hope it's i hope i'm not getting that wrong i think it's japan i maybe i don't know i'm not sure i know there was a whole thing about like was it the core system or something of like i, I don't the know core system's a whole other crazy thing this system man i feel really bad if i'm if it's <laughs> not japan we're not staring at a computer whatever we're speaking we're speaking from yeah. without computers in front of us it's fine if you're wrong somebody will look it up and you'll figure it out later there's a, a major major asian country which i have a great deal of respect for but i'm not <laughs> sure specifically which one it is it's just this one has a completely different form of right like teaching like because we did like the times table mm-hmm. and this is like a yeah i mean i think that's that's actually a thing that i think is good to learn because with addition, we were taught our ways, but then there's the abacus. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like when we were learning those things growing up, you kind of learned some of the different schools of thought. Right. But now you realize there's even more schools of thought than oh, yeah. we knew. Well, I think I think there's a lot of, and and this is a little bit, so. I think you, you when I find this thing, maybe yeah. I'll even post it in the show put notes. Put it in the show notes. It's you pretty. Put, you obviously have to put it in the show notes. It's pretty crazy, though. It's like major number, not like. 20 times 15 it's like 365 times 458 it's like a whole different attack at, at yeah at and you draw like a right certain answer. amount of lines on or you do dots 
corresponding to each number. Well, now I'm going to drop. Now I'm going to look at the show notes. I'm it's really crazy. So so it's funny the the one year of teaching I did, like I said, how how like powerful that was for me. Um, and you mentioned a mentor of yours. Uh, so the the way I got back into teaching when I sort of was like again like what's my life going to be. I thought I was going to move to LA. I didn't move to LA because I fell in love with the playwright. And like, she was like, well, I'm going to New York. See you later. And I was like, well, I'll check out New York. And now I've been here for almost 14 years. But so in that year in between, after I had graduated and, and when she hadn't yet graduated, I went and I was a school teacher because my mentor, and there's no other word for it, um, mm-hmm. uh, this guy, Tim Keogh, who was like... And shout out to Dr. Tanya Bedford-Waits also. There you go. All right. <laughs> Tim Keogh, RIP. Um so he was my favorite teacher. He taught like humanities. He like ran our drama program and you know, like whatever. He was like the guy when like I wanted to go be in drama. Cause like I knew there were girls there and I went to an all guys school and I was going to work backstage. And he was like, well, if you're going to work backstage, you have to like sing, you have to audition. And I sang like twinkle, twinkle little star. And he's like, all right, you're in the show. And I was like, nah, no, I don't want to. But like genuinely like set off the trajectory for like my entire career now. Um, and he was my big Notre Dame guy who like actually helped me get into that school when like I was like, there's no way I'm getting into that and like got in but didn't go or whatever. But like, so he was like a huge, huge part of my life. So he was my favorite teacher. I go away to college. He became prof- uh, principal of my old high school and was like, listen, if you want to come back and teach, you should come back and just like teach some of the fun classes, teach like acting and yearbook and computers or whatever. Um, and so I went back and did that, which was amazing to me. Cause I guess with a private school, I was like, I don't have like a certification or a master's degree. He's like, yeah, you're fine. <laughs> like say what you will about Kentucky private schools. Um, so I go back and it was great. But like what, one of the big things he was trying to implement at that school, which all of the old school teachers were sort of pushing back against was something called objective based, um, objective based learning or something like that. Mm-hmm. So I think kind of in light of what you're saying with this whole new math system, he was trying to shake up the grading system and being like, I'm going to maintain the letters, the letter grades, the A, B, C, D, F. Fine. We'll keep that because I don't want to be so revolutionary that you guys don't see it put down the same way on like a report card. Like I'm not going to implement such a crazy thing. But he was trying to go a little too fast for the people that were in this particular school community. Because what he was trying to do was like, I know your kids are used to getting A's and everything. If they do what they need to do and they pass the tests and they've done enough, they get an A. If they get a little less than enough, they get a B. If they're like, whatever. And he was setting up this system that I thought was fascinating and amazing and is sort of how like all of education should be run personally, but can't really because like we're so hung up on like GPAs and things like this. But so it was basically like, here are the five things. If you have a math class, here are the five bullet points of things that by the end of this math class, you have to have accomplished. You have to be able to, you know, whatever. And I'm not going to make up the five objectives, but they'd be very base level sort of things. And they would sort of increase in difficulty as you went down. But there were things that like, if you can do these five things, you're done. You can pass the class, but you pass the class with a C. Like just being done and doing, doing what was expected was like your middle grade Mm -hmm. if you did those things did them exceptionally you got to be if you did them exceptionally and really excelled like basically you set up this thing to where like get an a 
was very difficult. Like you really needed to just be like, you were exemplary. You were terrific at this particular subject matter. And so all these kids who were used to getting A's all the time were getting C's and B's and the parents just like lost their minds. And we're like, what do you mean he did all the work? It's like, yeah, he did all the work. He did all the work at an adequate level. So he got a C, you know, and this is an all guys high school, which is why I'm gendering it like that. But, and just, there was this outrage over it. And I'm like, and it was just very hard to even discuss with the parents, like, well, this is actually better for your kid because this is sort of how life is, you know? Right. This is how, like, you know, you can do the average and you can coast by, but, like, we're rewarding this idea of, like, just doing the base level is rewarded with the top honor, you know? So it was, it was a weird, like, kind of revolutionary thing that I really kind of drunk the Kool-Aid on, I mean, obviously, I'm biased because, like, I thought this guy was, like, hung the moon. He was just brilliant, great, awesome dude that, you know, like, I just got along with really well and I thought was very smart. But, like, they were not ready for it. They were not, like, the, the that community was not ready for it. And um, and so, of course, they he, he was gone. He actually passed away pretty young from colon cancer. Um, but so they've gone right back to the regular system. But, like, it was this little glimpse of, like, yeah, there's a better way that we can do this. There's a better way that we can like serve the kids. But then it, of course I look back on it now, I was a little misguided because then those kids would like apply to colleges and I like, I get the parents being upset to a degree. Cause it'd be like, why'd this kid get a C? He had like a 4.0 through and like, now it's going to ruin his transcript. And it's like, yeah, I guess I kind of see the point of that too. But, but then like, from that now I'm like I'm all about Montessori schools and like learning at your own level and sort of just rethinking the structure what, what did I, I read I read somewhere the other day like the four most dangerous words in the English language are well this isn't going to be four words whatever like basically paraphrasing like we've always done it that way right you know or it's always been done that way well that's sort Count, yeah, that's, counting words. that's sort of I think a big thing with what just in general in our society in the U S right now, it's like, um, just because things have always been done a certain way. Like there was slavery, like there's mm-hmm. dark shit and it's like, Oh, it's the second. You're not going to take, don't take my guns. You know, yeah, like to get back to that thing. You're like second amendment. Well, you know what guys, maybe it's time for that. Like that was about like having, a is it working? Like, when, it's, yeah. I don't think it is. Like, yeah, you know? the electoral college. I could go off on, like, you oh, know, like, god. oh my god, like, you know, like, we don't. Need, we're informed electorate. We all have the internet now. We, eh, whatever. But yeah, yeah. So that's that's super delegates too. Yeah, I'll throw that out there. Right. <laughs> the whole thing. It's like, like you know, it's, well, that's you know, guys. That's just the system. No, that's how. That's how. Well, it's a stupid empires system. like yeah. run into the ground. You know, it's yeah, it's 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 frustrating. It's very very frustrating. So, anyway, all that to say, like, I think there are, with sort of the globalization of, like, you know, the internet making us all, like, one big community, I think we're ripe for a lot of really good changes. Mm -hmm. But I think we sort of, not unlike this little example at this little high school in Louisville, Kentucky, like, I think we have just have to we have to we have to dance the dance a little bit. We can't just try to jump into everything too quickly. Um, which, you know, again, I'm like, I'm not on the politics. I keep talking about polit- political things. Like, you know, I think we, like, 
we had our eight Barack Obama years, which were terrific and amazing and progressive and like, oh, all this great stuff got done. But then that sort of... There's a backlash. That's what kind of got us into this Trump mm-hmm. situation is like people being like, too much, too fast. Well, let's get... Th- this guy's just different. And it's not even like they were like, this guy's going to push our agenda. It's like, this guy's just different. Let's see if it works. And obviously it's not working, but I mean, depending on who you talk to. But anyway, it's... um. It, and this is such a cliche, stupid, stupid thing to say, and I say it all the time, though. Like, it's what a time to be alive, you know. There's just a lot of, it's a lot of crazy, interesting, a lot of terrible, but also a lot of like really incredible stuff, kind of just like happening in the world right now. We're all just trying to figure it out, you know. Like, politically, socially. I don't know, stupid, bringing it back to like what my hyper focus is professionally, like, you know, technology, technology, all of it. Oh my God. The technology of like, you know, just think what what, like 10 years ago, did anybody have an iPhone? Like how old is the iPhone? It's about 10 years old. Right. Like that's insane. Yeah. A little, maybe a little over 10, but it's insane to think pretty much a decade Yeah, that we all didn't like have this. Oh my God. I took a stupid picture of the dog in the park the other day. And I'm like, this is intensely beautiful like this is like like the exponential like increase in in uh in just advancement of tech i I guess just advancement of tech and like you know and what that does to us we don't even know yet oh yeah we do know a little bit but I i think it's happening faster than we can process it's crazy it's absolutely crazy and so like and you know and coming back to like just what I do for a living. Like professionally, it's crazy. Like again, this whole week out in LA, everybody's, it's the wild, West. you know, it's like we went from like five or six years ago. It's like, it's the wild West. We don't know. Like things are being done differently by different companies. And now it's like genuinely nobody knows what to do. There's so much content, but it's like all Amazon, Netflix, Hulu. Mm -hmm. And so how does cinema survive? And then, but I feel like it's kind of coming back around to like cinema is going to be, not necessarily going to the movies, but like the cinematic sort of like 90 to 120 minute form is going to come back around to being like even more popular because consumers like myself, I think are watching things like the six part docu-series wild, wild country. And like, and and you're just like, this is crazy, but you could have told this story in a hundred minutes. Yeah. You know, like I don't need everything to be, you know, I think, I think the short attention span is going to kind of come back around and bring, the theatrical quote unquote cinema format back like that length of project I think is going to sort of come back around because people are going to be like, I don't necessarily want to watch 12 hours of everything of, of every set of characters, you know? So it's, I think there's going to be room for both though, because, Oh yeah. Yeah. One's not going to take over the other. It's yeah. But, but it's good, but, or not, but, and, um, what do you see like going forward? What do you want to do kind of right now? I know that, that's a general kind of question, <laughs> but just with the state of all things, like, uh, somebody asked a question on Facebook actually recently, and it was a former, he was basically my agent. It was him. He was actually the assistant of the agent, but he was like the main one I talked to. Yeah, shout right. out to Kev S. There you go. Um, shout out to Topo Swope also. 
um, who she actually is funny. I almost brought this up earlier, but when I auditioned for her, the the number one instructions were nothing in your monologue about guns or about harming animals. Those were the things. And so I didn't know how it was going to go, but like, and I didn't, I didn't go in there and talk about guns or animals, but I was just sort of like, man, I hope, I hope nothing I do is too aggressive. That would be and, such an actor move though. Be like, I'm yeah. going to do exactly the opposite. Cause that's probably what she wants. You know, yeah. Like, I was yeah. like, no, she's yeah. Or in yeah. Seattle. She was like one of the, one of the ones to like not mess with. You yeah. Know? Right. So, um, right on. but, uh, he asked a question that was basically like, I can't remember how he worded it, but it was basically, what would you do if you had all the resources and no like responsibilities, basically like, you know what I mean? Like no Mm -hmm. financial burden or no family responsibilities. Like what would you, what would you want to do if you had the resources to do what you wanted to do? Basically if I'm me in this situation right now, but I all of a sudden have all the money Mm -hmm. and time in the world and can do just whatever I want. Hmm. It's so funny because, like, my initial instinct is to be like, let me start listing all these projects I want to do. Let me look this movie about this thing and this, like, but then it's like the human being in me takes over and sort of like, and the artist and the human being aren't separate, but I'm just like, oh, if I have unlimited resources, I'm going to, like, buy my parents a great house. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, go like full NBA player with it or something or be like, let's just like, let's just take care of Syria. Let's, you but know, you, yeah. you know, like that kind of stuff. But like, so not putting that stuff aside, but like knowing that like ultimately like who gives a shit about like these dumb stories I want to, which they're not dumb stories, but like these, these movies I want to make, forget about that for a second. Like obviously first and foremost, if I'm of unlimited resources, I'm going to try and take care of like all of the terrible things that are going on in the world. Um, if we're talking about from a professional standpoint and from a, just like me as an artist standpoint, there are a couple of stories that I really think deserve to be told. Um, I'm sort of leaning more towards like sort of longer form series things. And this is not like, I'm just like the movie is coming back and the movie's going to be more important. But like, these are the stories I'm talking about are a little bit bigger and you couldn't tell them in like a 90 minute, 120 mm-hmm. minute thing. Um, the first one that jumps to mind genuinely is that there's, so Elizabeth works for the national Audubon society, which is a, like a bird and just overall animal conservation nonprofit. That's just an amazing um, group of people. And what they do is incredible and they've been very good to us. And they just also just do a lot of good for the world. Um, and John James Audubon who was not a perfect person, um, like most of the greats, you know, like flawed, but incredible, just has a really amazing story. And I think deserves to be a, a sort of something to be told. It just deserves to be sort of like an HBO miniseries or something. And then that's something like if someone said like, do whatever you want, it would probably be something like that. Or I've also toyed with the notion similarly, um, of doing a story about the birth of Hollywood, the birth of sort of like how almost everything was done in New York and, you know, like 
Edison and, you know, D.W. Griffith talk about a terrible human being that just like did amazing things, though, like D.W. Griffith, you know, going from the East Coast and going to Hollywood, going to Los Angeles, which was just nothing like just a dry desert farmland, blah, whatever. But then they basically, you know, this like group of people went out there and were like, this is where we're going to start making movies and sort of taking that. I don't want to call it a barren wasteland, but it kind of was like and just sort of doing an old timey sort of Deadwood series about that, the birth of that, um, I think would be pretty incredible, incredible, like sort of boardwalk empire birth of Hollywood kind of thing, you know, and like by the end you flash forward to like where you ended up during like the contract Cary Grant days and that sort of stuff. Nice. Um, it's so funny. All of these ones jump into mind are these like weird historical retellings. Like I also would want to do like, a story about like New Orleans around the 1800s because I'm obsessed with the city of New Orleans and like how it was such a crazy town like when everything was like floating down the river and ended up in New Orleans and like all of the crazy shit that was going down going on down there down the 1800s and doing sort of like a Deadwood meets Treme kind of thing you know like whatever like so, so yeah that sort of stuff I think is really the space and that stuff's also like I'm so far away from having the financial resources, even like with the people I can talk into letting me do a project of my own. Like I'm so far out of like the budget that would be required to do like a huge period show like that. So given all of those resources, I would probably do some sort of big period show like that. One of those three versions, I guess is the professional answer, but obviously I would take care of yeah all the awful hunger and poverty and just bad shit going on in the world that like keeps me keeps me up at night to a degree but like keeps elizabeth legitimately keeps her awake at night <laughs> like she's such a like she's i don't know she's just such an amazing person like she'll read a story on just like not sleep because she's just like i want to fly to this foreign country and take care of this dog <laughs> like, which whatever anyway big shout out to my wife yeah she's cool the best um but yeah so i guess that's sort of a long answer to that word yeah well i think we covered quite a lot um (laughs) i think we still have a lot more to cover but um i think we should leave it there for now and cover the rest or you know the next time or the next times i'm not far away man i'm not far away i'm happy to come back anytime do you have any uh final thoughts I thought about this because I've been listening to the show and I thought it was like, man, that's a really heavy question at the end. What do I leave it with? What do I leave it with? Um, dun, dun, dun. What do I do? I guess what I'm supposed to do is kind of promo. So I, I did write and direct a movie, Split, uh, not the James McAvoy, M. Night Shyamalan movie about a multiple personality killer guy. Uh, it's a romantic bowling comedy. Uh, go to Amazon. If you have Amazon Prime, watch it on there. Um you, you can actually, there's a, if you just go to Derby City Productions, like Louisville, Kentucky, derbycitproductions.com, we have a bunch of, with the trailers on there, and there's a bunch of buttons of different ways you can watch it. We're also on Hulu, but uh, that doesn't help us out as much. You should watch it. <laughs> if you buy it on iTunes yeah. or something, Hulu just pays like a flat license fee, so you can watch it there, but we'd prefer you watch it somewhere else. Um, so there's that, and then uh, I have a movie coming out, uh, this Moby Dick documentary. Uh, called Call Us Ishmael. That's on the festival circuit now. That'll be around um, sometime. We're t- 
talking to a couple different distribution outlets, so that should be available wide um, not too long from now. But keep an eye out at your local festival. We might be near you soon. Um, and then the only other thing is we sort of covered um, what I would my advice to any young people trying to get into like the various nonsense I've signed myself up for for the last 14, 15 years. And really what it boils down to and what I like to say to anyone trying to get into filmmaking or the arts or anything like that in general that is traditionally like quote unquote hard to break into, just know what you want, work hard, don't be an asshole. That's the three point process. Yeah. Like that's, if you just tattoo that in your brain, just those are the things. If you just do that, every bit of like my quote unquote again success that I've had has been has been fueled by those concepts. That and obviously luck. I mean, there's nothing you can do to control it. You can make your own luck, but I might emphasize don't be an asshole. Oh, it's huge. bigger than you. So think. huge, <laughs> huge. It's 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 really just like and it's and it's probably the easiest part. Yeah. <laughs> just just don't be a prick. That's it. Yeah. 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 And there's, and trust me, there's plenty of people that forget that part. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And if you forget that, apologize (laughs) quickly Mm -hmm. and genuinely and rapidly to everybody you may have been an asshole to. Yeah. We all have our moments. We do. (laughs) Well, thank you very much. Oh, man. Thanks for having me. It's been great. Great fun. Yeah. My pleasure. Peace. So that was my conversation with Jamie Buckner. The math I was trying to figure out was called lattice multiplication. And lattice multiplication is sometimes referred to as Japanese multiplication, sometimes Chinese Chinese multiplication, sometimes Arab multiplication. So the original source isn't quite, quite known for sure, at least not on Wikipedia. But like I said, I will leave the links to the Wikipedia page and you can research more about lattice multiplication if you want. Um, check out Split, the world's, not the M. Night Shyamalan split, but Jamie Buckner's split. It's the world's first romantic bowling comedy. Check it out on Amazon or on Derby City Productions. The links to those will be in the show notes. Also keep your eyes and ears tuned for Call Me Ishmael coming out later this week. I'm having trouble talking coming out later this year. Call me Ishmael. Uh, Pay it forward. Um, If you're digging the show, uh, do me a solid and rate, review, subscribe, share, um, or send me a message. Send me an email. Let me know what you think of everything so far. Um, What a time to be alive. What a time to be alive. I had a great time talking with Jamie Buckner. I'm having a great time having these conversations and sharing them with you every week, twice a week, Mondays and Thursdays. Check out this and all the others on BushwickVarietyShow.com, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, the places where you get podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. And in closing, I will say again and reiterate Jamie's three-point process to success in the film industry and also success in life. Number one, know what you want. Number two, work hard. And number three, and this one's probably the most important, 
don't be an asshole. Take care. Peace. Peace.